Believers, are you praising Him this Christmas season? Does thinking on the Christmas story lead you to worship? Should. We're going to talk about that this morning. Last week, we began talking about all the classic Christmas movies that come on this time of year and we said what, what makes those stories great is, of course, their, their great storylines, their, their warm storylines, their beloved main characters, right? Like this guy here. How about this guy? Look at this picture. He, he becomes a beloved character, right? Later on in the story, the Grinch. Yeah, we think of uh, him when we think of Christmas. Uh, we also, many of you think of this next guy too, Kevin, from Home Alone. If you're my age, uh, you, you know about this movie. I think that it's still being played today each and every year. So our kids are probably uh, watching it as well. But we, we also said that not just the main characters make these stories memorable, but at times there are supporting characters that make the story what it is. For example, where would the Grinch be without the Who's from Whoville, Cindy Lou Who, right? And of course, where would Kevin be without these two guys, Harry and Marv, right? They, they help make the story what it is as well. You're probably wondering where I'm going, I'll tell you. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 2. Luke 2. We are continuing our Christmas series talking about the supporting cast of God's Christmas story from Scripture. We are studying about these key players in the Christmas story, and we're talking about what we learn from them and their part in the nativity story and the application that we can make for our lives today. Last week, we looked at an unlikely priest, an obscure virgin woman, and an important messenger of the Lord. This week, we're going to talk about the first witnesses to and messengers for the Messiah. So Luke chapter 2, we're going to be discussing verses 8 through 20 this morning. This story here is the well-known story of the shepherds and the angels. And though many of you have heard of this story too many times to count, you've, you've sung songs about this story, right? I want you to notice that though the shepherds and the angels are central characters in this passage and in this account, and though in this series we are focusing on the supporting cast in this wonderful story, it is important to note here, and we're really going to highlight this this morning, that here in Luke 2, it's all about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is the central message of Scripture, and of course, it is to be the central message of the Christmas story, and it is. It's the central passage, the central message that you find throughout your Bibles. Notice here, there are three things we learn about God's gospel as we study the story of the shepherds and the angels. Here's the first thing we learn. We learn that sinners are the recipients of the gospel. That's the first point that we learn here. Look at verses 8 and 9. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with great fear. I want you to see here, according to this verse, who benefit from the gospel? Who are the recipients of the gospel? Luke tells us it's sinners like you and me. Here in verse 8, we learn God is gracious to sinners. Sinners are the recipients of the gospel. And some of you are thinking, how on earth did you get that from this verse here? You're thinking the only people mentioned here in this verse is this good group of godly shepherds, right? I mean, that's how we often think about shepherds, right? We often view them in a positive light because that's the way they're often portrayed in Scripture. I mean... Notice how they're shown here in this story. We're going to learn they respond favorably to the angel's message, and they're some of the first witnesses to and witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We learn in the book of John that Jesus refers to himself as our shepherd. He says in John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. So Jesus is portrayed as a shepherd, one of the most well-known chapters in all the Bible, Psalm 23. How does that psalm begin? The Lord is my shepherd. So shepherds are often shown to favorable light in the scriptures. They're used uh, uh, often for uh, illustrations, especially of my role as, as the pastor, right? Pastor, the shepherd. But that is not how they were viewed by many in this Time. Truth is, shepherds did not have a good reputation at all in this day. In the first century, they were not held in, in high esteem. They were despised by many. They were considered unclean. They were viewed as liars and thieves. Many were guilty of stealing sheep from other folds. Their reputation was so bad that their testimony was not permissible in a court of law among the Jewish people. Did you know that? And because they were shepherds, their job often required them to come in contact with injured and dead animals. And as a result, many in the Jewish community, I read, viewed them as being ceremonially unclean. And also because they were often out in the fields watching their flock, they missed out on worship in the temple. They were disconnected from temple worship. So they were viewed by many as being outsiders, ceremonially unclean and untrustworthy. Yet though that's the case, notice here, God sends his angels to them. He makes this great announcement of the coming of his son to these shepherds. He has his gospel proclaimed on high by his holy angels to a group of what many viewed to be low-down, dirty, wicked shepherds. And Luke, by making mention of this story, I believe is revealing something very important to us about God and his gospel. Of course, like we talked about last week, God delights in using the unlikely, and he does, in his kingdom story, right? But Luke clearly shows us here, especially when the angels make this great announcement, that God has sent his Son to save sinners. Folks, that's the reason Jesus came. Do you realize that? And this truth is repeated over and over again throughout God's Word. Jesus came for sinners like these shepherds. Jesus came for sinners like you and me. Jesus even said this of himself. 
recorded in three of four gospel accounts. You'll read this in your scripture reading this week. He came to call sinners to repentance. Jesus said, I have come for those who know they need me. I have come for people who know they're fallen. I've come for sinners in need of salvation. I have come for people like these shepherds whom many of you despise. I have come for the dirty and the low down and the sinful, for those that you consider unclean and wicked. Jesus came for sinners. Sinners are the recipients of his gospel. Now, be honest with me for just a moment. We talked about this last week. How many of you think of this at Christmas time? Though we can't help about thinking about presents under the tree, good food with family and friends and time off of work and school. How many of you, when you think about Christmas, you think about the fact that you are a sinner in need of rescue? That's what the Christmas message is all about. That's why Christ came. Christmas is to be a reminder to you of that. Christmas should remind you that salvation is needed and that rescue has been provided for you and me in the person and through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing I want to highlight about this message, that, that sinners are the recipients of the gospel. The second thing we learn is that Christ is the message of the gospel. He is the key character in Scripture. He is the key person. The, the, the Scriptures are centered in on Him. The gospel is centered on Him. The angel's message is centered on Him. Look at verses 10 through 14. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Can you imagine the skies being lit up with angelic light before these shepherds on a hillside? Amazing. In this passage, the angels preach Christ on a hillside to these group of shepherds. In verse 10, one of the angels makes the announcement that he is bringing the gospel to them. The gospel, that word means good news. He says in verse 10, I bring you good news. I bring you gospel truth. And then he goes on to explain the good news by making the greatest birth announcement that's ever been made in the history of the earth. Now let's take a few minutes to just break this message down a bit because there are several great truths we learn about Christ and his gospel and what he came to do in this angelic birth announcement. Notice first, the angels explain that this child, Jesus, is the promised Messiah. He is the promised Messiah. How many of you like unexpected guests? Anybody? Appreciate that, especially around Christmas. Let's say they come and they stay. They're coming to stay, right? Y'all appreciate that? No, we like a heads up. Jesus did not come unexpectedly. Now, they weren't expecting him on that night, but 
They were expecting a Messiah to come. The Jewish people were anticipating this Messiah to come because that's what they had been reading and studying about all through the Old Testament, and that's what the angels announce here in this passage. Look at verse 11. He says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Notice the phrase city of David. Where is this city? This is Bethlehem, right? Listen, this statement is not just made in passing. And there's a reason why he refers to, instead of saying Bethlehem, he says city of David. By including this detail, God is announcing through his angel that this child who is to be born in Bethlehem is the fulfillment of God's promise that he made long ago to David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, you'll read this in your scripture reading this week. He says this, verse 12 of 2 Samuel 7, When your days are fulfilled, when you lie down with your fathers, I'll raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. The angel is indicating here in this announcement in Luke chapter 2 that Christ is God's man. He's the promised one. The one who has come to, to sit on the throne of David forever. The angel here is making this announcement to make the point that this child born in the city of David, in David's town, is the promised Messiah. He is the Christ. He is God's forever king. He is the one in whom the scriptures foretold. He is the one who left the riches of heaven and is the one who has come down to become like us in every way so that he could live for us and go to the cross for us and die for us and be raised for us in order to redeem us. And that work is told all throughout the Old Testament. So they're, they're pointing their, their gaze back and letting them know that on this night the Messiah has in fact come. He is the promised Messiah. Notice also we see here he is truly God. That's another point we learn from this announcement. The angels say at the end of verse 11 that this child born in Bethlehem is the Lord. The word Lord here is another word for God. So the angel here is, is announcing the, the deity of Christ. And that truth that Christ is God is, is at the heart of what we believe as Christians. It's at the heart of the gospel. We're told that he is coming to save. Listen. Only a righteous and holy and infinite God has the power to take away sins, past, present, and future forever. Only God can forgive sin, which is what Christ did, because sin is an offense against God, and only the one offended can forgive. Christ forgives. He comes to grant forgiveness. He comes to provide a way for us to be forgiven, to accomplish our salvation. He is truly God. He is the Lord. Not only that, we also see the angel announces here that he is truly man. He's the Messiah. He's truly God. He's truly man. Look at verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. 
So notice here, this Savior who is the promised Messiah, who is truly God, is also truly man. In verse 12, we learn that Christ has gone to great lengths to identify with us. He has condescended down to us. He has become one of us and a lowly one of us at that. What many theologians call the humiliation of Christ because he has condescended down to us. As Paul says in Philippians 2, he has emptied himself by becoming one of us. He became a baby born in a barn in Bethlehem. Christ took an immeasurable step down when he became one of us. That should humble you, but that should also lead you to worship. He became a helpless child. Why? Well, to be our Savior, right? We learned that. Notice what else the angels tell us in verses 13 and 14. Look at it. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. In verse 14, we learn Jesus has come to make peace. Peace with who? Peace with God. Peace with God. That's the reason He's come. Not just peace within ourselves, not peace with one another, peace with God. Though we said earlier that Jesus had to be God to pay for our sins, past, present, and future forever, we also learn here and elsewhere that he had to become a man to accomplish this work. See, Scripture is clear that we are at odds with God. Very, very clear on that. We are enemies of his because of our sin. Scripture is also clear there is nothing that we can do about it to change things. We can't change things by our own strength, in our own power. We need another representative, a perfect representative. That's what God has provided for us in Christ Jesus. That's what Christ has provided for us by emptying himself, taking on flesh, dwelling among us. That's what the angels announce here in verse 14. He has come. He has taken on flesh. He has moved into the neighborhood, right? to live the life we can never live, to die the death he doesn't deserve to die, but we do, laying his life down, only to take it up three days later so that we, through his life and death and resurrection, through faith alone and him alone, could be forgiven of sin and be at peace with God, be brought back into a right relationship with him through Christ. It's what he's done for us, an incredible Incredible work that Christ has provided for us. That's the good news they bring to the shepherds. Centered in on Christ and his person and work. Well, there's one more thing we learn here about the gospel from this Christmas story. Not only do we learn that sinners are the recipients of the gospel and that Christ is the message of the gospel, but we also learn that worship is the proper response to the gospel. Well, we've been singing wonderful songs of praise this morning. I mean, just read those rich Christmas hymns just filled with praise. That should be your response and my response this time of year. It's worship. Look at verses 15 through 20. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord 
has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So when the angels leave the shepherds after giving this incredible sermon, this incredible message about this Christ child and what he's coming to do, the shepherds decide, hey, we need to go over to Bethlehem, check this thing out which I'm hoping we would do as well, right? And they found things exactly as the angel had said. They found Mary and Joseph, saw the Christ child lying in a manger. And then notice in verses 18 through 20, we see three responses to this wonderful work that God had done. Notice first, Mary pondered these things. She pondered this work. Look at verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart. Can you imagine what was going through Mary's mind while she held that baby? We're told that she thought deeply on this incredible work that God had done in and through her and thought long and hard about this wonderful gift He had given her and ultimately the world by by sending this child. We love that song, Mary, Did You Know? Guess what? She knew. She did. Just read Mary's prayer. She knew. She thought on these things deeply. We also know that she worshiped, right? She did. Y'all read her prayer this past week. Wonderful prayer. Wonderful song of praise and worship. Notice also that other people pondered as well. They thought deeply on these truths. We're told in verse 18, all who heard this message wondered at what the shepherds told them. Notice in addition to pondering these things and Mary treasuring them in her heart, the shepherds praised God for this work. They praised Him for the wonderful gift of His Son. We're told in verse 20, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So they respond with worship. They respond with worship. Again, are you worshiping God this Christmas season? When you think about this incredible work that he has done for you in and through his son Jesus and the hope that you have by faith alone in Christ alone, boy, it should lead you to worship. They worshiped. After they heard about this great work, they went to witness it and they went away glorifying God and praising Him. But not only that, they not only praised God for this work, the shepherds proclaimed God's work. They shared this work with others. Look at verses 17 and 18. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So notice in this passage, you have a great description of what worship is. You have Mary pondering and the shepherds praising and proclaiming. One of my favorite definitions of worship 
is, uh, comes from uh, Donna Whitney's book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, which we have in our bookstore. He defines worship in this way. Worship is focusing on and responding to God. That's what worship is. And that's what's taking place here. For, for worship to take place, we must first think on the, and, and meditate upon the, the deep truths of the Christian faith, the great work that God has done for us in Christ. And, and that should lead us in praise. That should prompt us. That should move us to praise Him. But not only that, it should also move us to make this message known to others. That's worship. That's what takes place here. That's the response of Mary and the shepherds. Let me ask you one more time. Is this how you spend your Christmas? When you think about Christmas, do you think about the gospel? Does it lead you to worship? Do you think about a righteous and holy, yet gracious and merciful God? Are you meditating upon those truths this time of year? And does that move you to praise Him and to make Him known? It should. Again, you're going to be challenged this week first to, to really spend time this Christmas season focusing on the great work that God has done for you through Christ. And uh, I always like to recommend a good book something that I recommend, a book that Leslie and I are reading. It's by Paul David Tripp, titled, Come Let Us Adore Him, a daily Advent devotional, 31 days. We read one a day, and boy, you talk about getting your mind right. A good book will do that, and this is one of those for, for Christmas. So get a hold of this. That'll, that'll definitely help you. And, and think, meditate on these great truths on the great work that God has done for you and may that lead you to praise and may that lead you to make Christ known to others. To close this out, let me say this. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you have responded favorably to this message like the shepherds in this passage. You have forsaken your sin. You've turned from your sin. You're trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. That's great, but let me ask you this. Are you making this message known? Are you making this message known? Boy, no better opportunity than right now to be making this wonderful message known this Christmas season. Believers, when we talk about these events that took place over 2,000 years ago in this little town of Bethlehem, our conversation should turn quickly to the cross. That's the reason Christ came. That's the reason Jesus came down. He came down to us to die for us so that he could save us. That's the Christmas message. That's the gospel message. Therefore, we need to share it. Maybe you came in this morning with a different idea of what Christmas is all about. But for the first time this morning, you feel as if you don't just have a, a decent grasp on the story, but you feel as if you truly understand the gospel for the first time in your life. Maybe that's you. Maybe God is, is doing a work in your heart and life this very morning and you understand for the first time why Christ came, why he left the riches of heaven and entered into this world as a man.
Maybe for the first time you realize it was because of your sin that Christ came to earth. It was because of your wickedness that he went to the cross. And it was because of his great love for you that he came and accomplished salvation for you so that you might be rescued from your sin and restored to God. If you're here this morning, you're coming to this realization, I urge you today to respond like the shepherds do in this story. Believe and receive this message. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Forsake your sin. Make him your Lord today. Bow your knee to King Jesus and be saved today. If you have not, I urge you to do that right here, right now, today. Let's pray together.